0: Yeah, I guess it's working. Okay, so just a few things I just want to mention as far as announcements. I know everybody in here is eagerly wanting to play volleyball. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> jump right in on that one. <laughs> I, you'll literally jump. Um, but, yeah, anyway, volleyball season is, is uh, coming up. Uh, we didn't play volleyball last year because of COVID. This year we're going to play again. I don't know the details of, like, where it's going to be. I think it will be back in Pleasant Hill, I believe. I think so. Um at that is it a Methodist it's Church is what we usually church, do, it? Yeah. so um, we just can't get in any place else uh, to do it. So uh, we'll do it there, and you can register online. Uh, even if you don't want to play, if you want to encourage somebody that you're trying to minister to that would be able to play and be interested in playing, you can still let them know to be on the t- you know sign up and play and be a part of the church and be a, you know it's a good place to. Introduce people to others in, in the church. So just kind of keep that in mind. You don't have to play, but you might know somebody that would enjoy playing. I think Julie's going to play. <laughs> you want to sign you up? Sure. Anyway, the cost okay. is $25. Huh? Better, I'll be a ref. Okay. Yeah, you could do that. Be a ref or a scorekeeper. I don't know if they need all those kind of things. You could probably do it remotely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. a camera on me um so uh uh, last time the church our class cleaned was was the middle of october so it hadn't been that long ago but already our schedule is for the uh, next time we clean is november 27th which i believe is thanksgiving weekend so we always seem to get the great holidays um so anyway, so November twenty seventh is our cleaning day. That well, that weekend, which is that's, that's a Friday. So I'm thinking we should do it on Thursday.
1: Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> Somebody picked up on what I was saying. That's good. Yeah. Um, no, we'll we'll figure it out. And between now and and as we get closer, obviously everybody's going to be busy. A lot of people are going to be doing family things like they always do for Thanksgiving. So we'll have to work around it somehow. But that's our weekend is that weekend um and then um i want to mention uh, um some of you are part of the bible team and some of you aren't but but we have this is a unique thing next weekend next thursday evening a team from uh brian keeps saying birmingham alabama but it's not it's huntsville alabama and there's a church down there that uh, supports our missionary we have a missionary in Zambia that we support. Uh, he's one of uh, uh, Dan Jallock and his wife, Jan. Um, so this church in, in Alabama supports them as well. And um, so uh, they wanted, so last year we did Chichewa New Testaments. We did an unbelievable amount, 25,000 uh, plus. Um, but Dan didn't get any of them. Dan is in, the, he's in Zambia. We sent all of the New Testaments. They ultimately ended up going to Malawi. But the Chichewa tribe't they, they don't stop at the political border. They, they cross borders because that's and historically that's where they've been. So they're not only in Malawi, but they're in southern and eastern Zambia as well, which is in the same place that Dan ministers. And uh, so this church wanted to make him specifically make Dan 2,500 Chichewa New Testament. So we've been able to pull that off and have it come. So they're bringing a team. Uh, from uh, Alabama for four days just to help make the, Bible, the New Testaments. So that's a pretty cool thing. We've never hosted—we've had people come from local churches, you know, they drop in on it. you know, for a couple hours during the Bible conference or something like that, which is great. But we've never done this where we hosted a team, uh, and, uh, and they come specifically because they want to do some Scripture work, and then they're going to take the Scripture home with them at the end of the weekend— and then they're going to ship them out from, from Alabama, which I'm really thankful for. I don't have to worry about getting them out. Um, so, uh, so anyway, that's happening. This, that's why I just mentioned that. Um, so I've got a team um, that's going to be serving part of the Bible team. And then I think there's 11, 12, 11, 10, 11, or 12. I'm not sure what the final count's going to be. People coming from Alabama. And then their pastor, Jay Shaw will be speaking next Sunday. Uh, so Brian I'm going to let him have an opportunity to preach so you'll see him so anyway that's going on so pray that it all works out well we've been working really hard for the last several weeks trying to get prepared for this try to put on our best face and all that kind of stuff um, and then the last thing I want to mention before we talk about prayer is uh, Thanksgiving meal donations it's in the bulletin. and I saw it last night there's some things in it so they're looking for collecting food to, to, to uh, have available for gift boxes of meals. Um, I know normally we do it at, at Christmases. I think we do it at Christmas. Don't we do it at Christmas? Or is it just Thanksgiving? I think it's both. I, think it, I don't think it would never. Anyway, um, there's a basket or something in the lobby um, uh, that you can drop off the food there. So canned goods, things like that. I think the way the bulletin said it is stuff, stuff that can be put on a shelf. So that's what they're looking for, and I so I just want to mention uh, praying for Wayne Arney. Uh, I don't know if anybody's. I mean, I know I have gotten an update from from Wayne and Betty uh, on how he's doing. So yesterday was it? What day was it that he had this Friday. procedure? Friday he had the procedure where they they are um, radiating his kidney, and uh, he did have a lot of problems. The, ta- the, the positioning that they put him in was extremely painful, and he was there for a long time. He had to hold his arms a certain way for uh, a long time. And so it was very painful. So he's got to go back again next Monday, tomorrow, um, and I think Tuesday and maybe Wednesday uh, for more radiation. So be in prayer that they can find a good, comfortable position for him to be in while they – because they have to – they if you remember, they put markers in his kidney so they know where to – direct the radiation mm-hmm. so that means that your body has to be in a certain a- angle in order for the radiation to 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 do its thing so just be in prayer for for going be in prayer for betty as well because um you know this this is hard on her just as much as it is on him yeah. and their whole family as well and um i got bud crust on here it's good to see you bud again thank you for coming man i appreciate it i was i was thinking this morning i'm gonna need to have to call you oh. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, we're doing. We're doing. You're, doing. you're doing good enough to be here. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. And uh, Desiree Vanderkirk here is uh, so she's had her procedures and she's got some more things to go. I think I'm uh, I'm a little. Where are you at on all that? Are you waiting on biopsy results and then I can decide on which
1: options I have.
0: Okay, so be praying for you for wisdom on those options then. Okay. And then Bob Klein and his legs, and uh, now he's moving around, seems to be better, and he's breathing better, uh, and his circulation is better, uh, but he's, he's not out of the woods yet, so he needs continual prayer that God would guide him to the right doctors, and then guide the doctors in, in helping him um, get past everything he's got going on, uh, and uh, you know, the nice thing about all of this is we know that the Lord's not done with us, because um, you're still here. And uh, and so we just want to be able to serve the Lord in the needs that we have and whatever that may be. So be in prayer for all of them. Um, and uh, you can pray for myself as well. Me from, is that right? Pray for me. Um, I have a so I've, I've had three scans. I kind of empathize with with Gwaine, uh, because the last three MRIs that I've had, there's extremely painful laying on the table. I've never had this problem but the last three times it's just like my back just doesn't want to straighten out and so um i'm actually not looking forward to my next one here in a couple of weeks so uh, i'm afraid i get my back straightened out i don't know how to do that but I'm, i've been trying to just like lay flat on the floor for several minutes at a time just kind of straighten out my back kind of massage my back that way on the floor um and then of course there's other people that are on the prayer list as well that you get every week so keep in mind those Pray for those. Pray for the team that's in Monmouth. Uh, they got there last night. Uh, 18 people. And uh, I think Pastor Brian is going today after the service. I'm not sure, 100%. But anyway, the team is there. They are ministering to the children. They're doing a Vacation Bible uh, School type of event for uh, starting today and finishing up on Wednesday night. And uh, just like they send a team to us every year, we send a team to them. So be in prayer for all of that. Ray has kept me posted they got up there on good time, and uh, they've had some fellowship, and now they're working right now. They're they're underway, and um, and then uh, we got the the uh, Oaxaca team going out here at the end of this month. They're going to Mexico to work with uh, uh, um, Joe and Amy Hendricksman. and so that team they got their airline tickets booked yesterday or Friday. Uh, I think it was Friday when they got them booked. So they're under they're. They're committed now, and uh, so anyway, that's a good prayer. Good team to be sending out to pray. And of course, we send a lot of Bibles to Joe. And if you don't, if you follow him on Facebook, uh, he's 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 always shipping. He, he gets he's like a like a central distribution point. He gets Bibles, New Testaments, and and try John and Romans and different things. And then there are churches from all over Southern Mexico that come to come to Joe to get material. And uh, so he is a supply house for Bibles. So we need to help supply him. So I've, I've got some Spanish new, uh, whole Bibles that I've <clears throat> ordered. And I hope to get soon and we can process those and do all those in the armory. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of work in the, Bi- in the Bible fellowship uh, anymore, which is good. Okay, so that's, it, that's enough for prayer. So let's go over to uh, Psalm uh, 143. We're, there's 12 verses. We're going to read through that. And then we'll pray uh, Psalm one forty four. I'm sorry, one forty three, verses one to twelve. I think that's what I that's what I have in my notes. Let me make sure that's the one I wanted. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's uh, read this passage, and then we'll we'll pray for a bit. We'll share in our prayer time. And then when everybody's done praying that wants to pray, uh, I'll close it out and then we'll get started with the lesson. The David says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I trust, who delude, who subdueth many, uh, subdueth my people under me. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that pass away. Bow the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightnings and scatter them. Shoot out mine arrows and destroy them. Send thine hand down from above. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children. Verse 8. Whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon upon a psaltery and upon an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of the strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our gardeners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this This. Uh, this passage of scripture that you have. Uh, actually, I just realized I was reading one forty-four. Sorry. All right. Well, let's continue in prayer. So, Lord, that <laughs> passage you must have wanted us to read was one forty-four. We did. Thank you for that. Thank you for the, uh, the 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 word that we see here, Lord. The uh, the the power that is in you, and Lord, how you are uh, your strength teaches my uh, hands to. To war not war against other other people but to war against that which is an enemy to the spirit and we pray father for uh, uh for just the things that um that we see in in nature lord just how much you you um you guide and direct and and you're in control of all things we pray father that you would um just uh, we pray for gwayne we pray for betty uh we pray lord for um, uh, Bud, crust, and Desiree, and Bob, as well as we mentioned them in our in our notes, Lord, and we ask for you to move in their life, Lord. As you can c- control weather, well, Lord, we pray that you would control medicine, and that you would guide it and direct it, and through the doctors and the nursing and the staff that is treating uh, our brothers and sisters, Lord, uh, accomplish great work through them, Lord, uh, and so so that we can all. Uh, end up in verse 15, happy is that people, that is in such a case, okay, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And we just thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name.
1: Father, which are in heaven, hallowed is your name, we just uh, exalt you for your goodness, your grace. loving that you are so um, gracious and merciful to us Lord we thank you for salvation in you that you have delivered us and Lord how you deliver us in ways that we can't even understand right now or don't even see Uh, we just um, ask that you would continue to rid us and deliver us from the hand of estranged children Lord that we can accomplish your work whether it be with sharing of the gospel um verbally or through publishing your word uh, through uh, the works like this church in alabama lord and then throughout the world uh, strengthen our hands lord as we do your work uh, we do thank you for your work in the lives of our brothers and sisters who are hurting and where i will especially lift up gwayne and Lord, that you would comfort him, that you would strengthen him, that the pain that he is experiencing, Lord, that it would subside, mm-hmm. and uh, that you would show your purpose um, in and through this, that that he can be used of you um, in a mighty way. We pray for Betty, that you would comfort her as well, and and for Randy, Lord, uh, as it comes uh, to the next uh, checkup, the next. Check in, Lord, that you would bless that time. That you would um, help and heal us back uh, through that. Lord, we do pray for your word going out today, uh, throughout this church, throughout this region, throughout this world. Lord, that you would be glorified. Pray that you would um, guide Randy even now as we hear from you. We love you, Lord.
0: Father in heaven, Lord, as we conclude in prayer, we're just thankful, Lord, that we come before the, the King of heaven, the God of all gods, the, uh, the giver of life, Lord. We praise you for who you are and what you represent in our lives. And we pray, Father, that we would always be a sweet, sweet smelling savor to you, that the things that we do would be pleasing in your sight, and that we would uh, uh, bring joy uh, to you in the work that we do for you. And we just thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, we're in 2 Corinthians. We've been there for a long time. Chapter 7 is where we're at this morning. And, um, and so, uh, you know, when I was thinking about this, when I was looking at getting ready uh, with this, you know, it's, it's actually been a full month um, since the last time we were together talking about the, the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, I think the last time we were together in this study was October 10th. Today's November seventh, so that's basically a month away, so um, so or uh, a month ago. So we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't been together. I mean, we have been together, but we haven't been focused on on this study. There's several reasons for that. First off, I had a pastor retreat uh, that uh, um, I asked. Uh, I think it was Ray Blowers to step in for me. I appreciate Ray doing that. Uh, Ray is Ray is growing in the Lord all the time. I love seeing that happen in his life. And then, uh, and then I was on vacation, uh, took a much-needed much vacation, and Jeremy filled in for me as well. I appreciate the fact that Jeremy's here, and he's, and I can always count on Jeremy and others as well to step in. And then last weekend, we had our fabulous fifth, Lord's Supper, and we had a combined service. And so those three, I mean, so now it's here it is a month later, and we're finally going to be able to get back together. But I would say that we actually haven't lost any ground, Um but we do need to go back and kind of review this study. I like to always review every so every so so many weeks, just to kind of like it seems like repetition, but at the same time it helps remind me of where we are going with this study. What are we trying to get out of the word? Uh, because I mean we're all you know we're only going to do like today. We're only going to touch on seven seven verses out of uh, I think there's 16 um, in chapter four, in this chapter. Uh, but anyway, um, so. So while we haven't lost any ground, we do need to review. So um, throughout this study, we have been, in, I hope you have, I, I have. I, always, I love studying Paul's writings because uh, it really gives us guidance and direction on who we are supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. But um, throughout this study, we've been encouraged by Paul's example. And Paul has given us a great deal to consider as well. I mean, there's a lot here about, about who we are supposed to be. Now, we're all familiar with, if you would, you don't need to turn here, but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, probably most of you could recite that verse, or at least refer to what it says. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. And uh, in that letter, uh, in this letter, 2 second, second Corinthians, Paul gives us a great deal to observe and to learn as we follow him, as he has followed Christ. Um, I was talking with the, uh, the HBI students uh, this past week uh, in my missions class, and I was kind of talking about this verse about following Paul. And there's some things that we literally cannot follow Paul about. Uh, I mean, you know, first off, Paul was an apostle. Uh, we can't we can't become apostles. I mean, there's churches around that people call our leaderships apostles, but they're false doctrine, so that's wrong. Um, and, um, you know... Paul got to be the hand that God used to write much of the New Testament. Well, we're not going to rewrite the New Testament. I mean, we may publish it, but we're not going to rewrite it. We're not going to change it. So there's a few things like that. But in any case, there's a lot that's in this book and in Paul's writings that we can take from from his writings about himself that help us in the study on how to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. So in the first 6 chapters of this book, this of 2 Corinthians uh, Paul has explained why we should be ministers of the gospel and he's given us uh, some living examples from his own life about how to be a minister of the gospel and we've seen from through how his passion to endure helps him teach in the face of difficulty enduring in the face of difficulty is a is a very difficult thing for many Christians to do uh, I'm one of them and it's not easy sometimes to deal with the endure the, the hard hardships of of what we face and try to serve God at the same time and try to do what God wants us to do, do what we want to do for God. Um, sometimes they're not exactly the same, but they, they are for God. And so, you know, there's times because of the pressures that we're in, and talk, Paul will talk about or make reference to those kinds of things later on in this chapter. And so, um, but he had a passion to endure. And probably a better way to say it, he had a passion to serve so he would endure. Because his passion motivated him to do that, so that's something that we can emulate from Paul. Every one of us can develop a passion to please the Lord in our ministry, and do what we need to do, enduring whatever comes at our whatever whatever comes at us, um, and do the best that we can. No, not every time are we going to be able to serve. I know that Bob wants to. Bob is part of the Bible team. Bob is part of the, the praise team. And his his illness is, has kept him away from that for a while. That didn't change in his heart, though. His, he wanted to. He's, so he's pushing and enduring. I just use you as an example. But he's pushing and he's enduring what he needs to because he wants to serve the Lord. And that's a great attitude to have. That's a great desire. And that's what Paul's desire was. That's one thing we can emulate. And so, <clears throat> so we've seen his passion help him endure. Uh, When it comes to the the people that we identified as Judaizers, I also have another phrase called false prophets that I would use. That's the people that have come in behind Paul in just about every church that he planted and tried to affect change. Now, Paul was affecting change in a positive way. These guys want to affect change by taking people back to the law, back to the Old Testament law. So anyway, at every turn, Paul was being... They were trying to cancel. You have probably heard that phrase recently. They were trying to cancel Paul. Right? They were trying to cancel the things that he said, the things that he was teaching. Our current cancel culture, has, as we have seen around the world, must have taken lessons from these Judaizers. Because if you say something, you're going to get canceled. That's, just, that's the way, that's the way our, our, our society works today. Our cancel, cult, cancel culture seen around the world have taken lessons from these Judaizers who want to silence Paul and they want to silence the Christian today. And so, okay, so there's in these first six chapters, there were some lessons. I just want to summarize them in, a, in a, some bullet points so you don't have them in your notes, but just as soon as I say them, you'll, you'll remember. Uh, <clears throat> in the first few chapters, Paul talked about offering comfort and purpose to others. Offering comfort and purpose to others. And then he talked about adjusting our attitudes for effective ministry. We went through eight, I believe. I think ultimately we talked about nine different attitudes that we need to have as a functional Sufficient, uh, uh, successful Christian and we looked at those. Those were in the first couple of chapters. Paul talked about forgiveness as part of the message of the gospel. That passes on forgiveness. That was number nine actually. So it was eight attitude adjustments that we need to make plus the number nine was forgiveness and how it's tied directly to the gospel. We need to be engaged in ser- ser- uh, serving the Lord and we've learned to see open doors as God leads us uh, to serve. We talked about the doors that are open and are closed and how how, um, you know, I think that was in the passage where I talked about uh, your Macedonian call and where, you know, go, Paul went back to Macedonia to remember that God is moving in his life even though when he's not seeing God moving in his life. So sometimes we need to be revisit, yeah, you know, you know, back on such, and when some people like to call it their birthday, their spiritual birthday, you know, we got to celebrate. I got saved, God loved me enough to save me, and I remember what he did for me, so this is what I want to do for him this year. Kind of make some New Year's resolutions type of thing. And so we've learned to attend our, to our role in ministry and the call to bring the knowledge of Christ to the world. And we proved out the significance of God fulfilling his promises. That's just, you know, we, God always fulfills his promises. It may not be on our timeline, but he always fulfills his promises. And we understood, we, through this list, these lessons, the reasons to be involved in ministry. There's a reason that we all should be involved in ministry. I know not everybody serves, but a lot of people do serve. But the ones that aren't serving need to realize there's a reason to serve. And then lastly, last, in chapter 6, the last couple of times we were in this study, we learned about the problems of being unequally yoked. Remember Paul talked about that, about being unequally yoked. We talked about separating from uh, the infidels. And, uh, you know, and so, so there was that. And, then, and so so I would say this, Paul's primary purpose in this epistle... His, the reason he wrote this letter, I would say, was to vindicate, vindicate his apostleship and his manner of life. His apostleship and manner of life. That's why he wrote this letter. He's, he's vindicating who he is. He is the apostle. He is the one that, that birthed the church at Corinth. He is the one that God had, had sent to them for the purpose of starting this church. So he's the apostle. And he had a manner of life. That is being under scrutiny right now and being challenged. So Second Corinthians does deal with some of the unresolved problems exposed in, that he that were found out about in First Corinthians. So there's a there's some of it was going back. He had to address what he said in First Corinthians. However, those were, those others. Uh, there were others whose true colors became more evident in Second Corinthians by their continued resistance to Paul and his teaching. So he's got to deal with those people who are still resisting Paul. And focusing on what they're they're claiming that Paul shouldn't have done, so these these guys, what I call the false apostles, the Judaizers, they're now unmasked, and we need to be re, um, so we need to see them and reject them. Uh, so Paul will focus on this group in verse chapters ten through thirteen. We'll we'll get to that point here pretty soon, and so we find this letter to be a revelation of the human side of Paul, and we and probably the most uh, in this letter than anything in the New Testament. He's one of those men who seems almost unreal in his devotion to Christ. I mean, well, we look at Paul and think, there's no way I could be like that. And then we kind of disconnect ourselves and we say, I don't have to do that because I can never be Paul. You don't have to be Paul. Just do what Paul did. And you will be you serving the Lord. Because that's really who you need to be. You don't need to be Paul. You're not, you're, not, you're not replacing yourself with Paul. You're just doing the things that he is teaching us to do. And so this letter reveals a very human side of Paul, somebody that we can identify with, not only in his circumstances, but also in his heart. And he is more transparent here about his feelings and motivations than anywhere else in the New Testament. So he lays out a lot. Our Our primary purpose, then, ought to be to do this. What we should get out of this study is learn how to be transparent enough to impact others. That's why I called it Be Transparent. That's the title of our study is Be Transparent. We need to be transparent enough that we have an impact in other people's lives. Transparent for what? Well, you know what transparent means, right? You see through it. What they should see through us is what? Christ. They should see Christ. So we need to be transparent enough so that people can see Christ. That's what Paul was actually doing in his life. There's some other things though, specifically, not only do we need to be transparent, but we need to show sin our authority over it. That's an interesting way to think about it, though. Our authority over sin, not sin's authority over us. Because we need to show sin. We are not going to submit to you, we are going to submit to the Lord. So not only do we show our sin show sin our authority over it, we show humility when we confront false teaching. So we need. So Paul was a humble man in the way he, he's addressing all of the accusations that have been weaved at him and thrown at him, and he's dealing with them, but he's doing it in a humble way. We should show partnership in ministering to those in need, and we need to be transparent in our walk and in our belief. Second Corinthians chapter two, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter one. If you, if you wanted to turn back there, verse twelve says, "For our rejoicing is this: the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity." and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but with, by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly toward to youward. That was Paul's opening salvo, and he's basically unwrapping and unpacking that idea, that concept, all the way through this this study. Okay, so let's bring this to verse one. Let's read verse one. We're, we're only going to get to I'll, let's read all the way down to verse seven, because that's about as far as we'll get. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation, for when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, with what without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that com- comforted those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he has comforted. He was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning your fervent mind towards me so that I rejoice the more. You, you, I hope you pick up on some of Paul's heartfelt position on how he sees this church and how he wants to see this church and how he wants the church to see him. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. So verse 1, I, I, I just call that perfecting holiness because that's what he says at the end of verse 1. He says perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So Paul tells us how to correct wrong behavior just in this verse. One verse, how to correct bad behavior, wrong behavior. So before we dive into this, so let me remind you that this letter, and I told you before, this letter does not lend itself to a clean, expository, verse by verse by verse. Here's a section, here's another section, here's another section. Here's another. It doesn't do that, and this is a good example. So Paul, Paul is both teaching and explaining at the same time. He's, he's teaching, the, teaching the truth, but he's explaining it with illustration. So, so he kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. And I'll show you what I mean here in, in just a few minutes. Now, he has been open and honest with the readers of this letter as he describes his work and his teaching as true and right. Remember, he, he wants them to know everything I've taught you is true. Everything i taught you is right. Everything i taught you is God's word. It is what God says. So he's making sure of that he's open and honest with all of that. But as we start chapter 7, it's obvious that Paul is still reflecting on some accusations that have been made against him. So he's kind of going back now. The first several chapters, we, we, we talked a lot about the, the Judaizers, the false prophets were saying this, and Paul's addressing that. And so he's kind of, and he went off on some other doctrinal teaching in chapter 6, but now he's coming back to, i got to address even more about what's going on. Because what he's trying to do is bring, bring the church into a focused direction. Where are you going and why are you going there? That's what we all need to know. Where are you going for the Lord and why are you going there? Okay, so uh, as we start chapter 7, it's obvious that he's still reflecting on those accusations. It's interesting to see that from here to the end of the letter, we're going to see less and less doctrine taught and more and more uh, what I would call um, lessons learned. Uh, More of... uh, um, practical application of what he's trying to bring in and he's going to address most of those starting in chapter 8 and on out to the end of the, into the letter. So what we start to see more and more are personal admonitions and teaching of of truth. So, never forget, in verse 1, never forget that we have promises. We have promises. God has made promises to us. We have those promises. Now, while I was this century, I don't, I can't validate this in any way. I didn't even attempt to. But while I was studying, I came across uh, a commentary that said that there's over 30,000 promises in the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but, I mean, even 10% of that has still a lot of promises. Uh, but here's the thing. A lot of Christians think all the promises in the Bible belong to me. They don't. Not all of the promises belong to the Christian. Only the promises that were given to the Christian were promised. Just like Isaiah, not Isaiah, but uh, Israel, uh, they have promises that are still yet to be fulfilled. And so, so it's great to know that there's thirty thousand promises in the Bible. God is a God God of promises, and we know from First John that God will not lie; He does not lie, and He always fulfills His promises. And so, so anyway, um, so while a Christian may think they're entitled to all of them, that's not the case. The promises that Paul is talking about in verse 1, is actually found in chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. And there's just a few promises there, but they're all, the promises express our relationship with God. That's, these, these promises are, so let's go back and read verses 16 to, 16 to 18 of chapter 6. Um, he said, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God? As God hath said, First off, that that you are the temple of the living God. That's one promise. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. That's a promise. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's a promise. Verse 17, when I come out, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's a promise. Verse 18, and will be a father. That's a promise. Unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. That's a promise. And said the Lord Almighty. So, Paul is saying, okay, here's all the things. Remember, we talked about separation, starting back in verse 11 through 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 6. Last time we were together, we talked about separation. Separation from the infidels, separation from the world, and so on. And now, he said, because you separate, here's your promises. And so, therefore, he says, having these promises, verse 1 of chapter 7, let us cleanse ourselves. Because you have promises, there's some things you need to do. Okay, so um these promises don't just come they're accessed by doing accessed by doing two things paul says in verse two or at the end of verse one i'm sorry cleanse ourselves from all unfilthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god so two things cleanse yourself and perfect holiness two things that we need to do so cleansing is an interesting thing cleansing is actually a two-part process it's a two-part process. Now we don't really talk too much about this, but when you when you start to see what's going on, you'll I think you'll agree. So let me just say another word for filthiness would be the would be defilement uh, or corruption. So when you're when you're when you're when you're involved in filthiness, you're involved in something that's defiling. Paul's concern for the church is that they were defiling themselves by the actions of those false prophets. And it was consistent with virtue and prefer- what the, what Paul says is stop being this way. What you should have is virtue and purity, which reflects on the temple of the Holy Spirit. So how do we, so if we're gonna if we're gonna be clean? Well, let me just give, let me give you this. Go to Galatians chapter five, verse nineteen. So what Paul is saying is uh, to cleanse yourself is to get away from the filthiness of the of the world. So in Galatians chapter 5, let me get to the right place here, verse 19, Paul's uh, Paul writing to this church, another church, he says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then he lists them for the next two verses. He goes on and he said, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasci- lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. Variance means gossip emanations means uh, revelings, or partying and stuff, carrying on, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Verse 21, envying murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, of which I tell you before and I've also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And right after that passage, you see what verse 22 says? But, contrasting over that, but the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh, which is basically the same thing as cleansing the flesh, crucifying the flesh, Cleanse the, clean, crucify the flesh and the, the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. That's cleansing yourself. That's what Paul is trying to get us to an understanding of uh, here in chapter 7 of, of Second Corinthians. Now, we're not talking just physical or fleshly behavior either. We're talking about the thoughts that defile such, a, such a, a thought that defiles. What kind of thought would be that? Well, prideful thoughts, hatred, ambition, emulation. Those are just a few of them that I can think of off the top of my head. Those are, those are behaviors that are not uh, physical, but they, are, they come from your heart. They come from within you. They come from, from your own personal goals. In fact, Jesus Christ spoke about that. He said in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and so on. Paul, basically, Paul Paul in Galatians 5 was almost repeating everything that Jesus Christ said in Matthew 15. So, in the Old Testament, let's make a comparison now. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the temple... There was there was what was called a brazen altar and a brazen laver. Remember those things? So you had the you had the outer tent, the walls that were set up, and you go through a gate. And when you first go into the gate, because you want to get to God, God's in the holy of holies. You can't go there yet because you have to deal with a few things. What do you have to deal with? First, you have to deal with the brazen altar and the brazen laver. What is the brazen altar for? For blood sacrifice. You have to there's got to be a blood sacrifice. So I would call that. A um, where's my note here? A radical cleansing. You need to get saved. You can't do what Paul's talking about in Second in Corinthians chapter seven, or even the whole book, uh, if you're not saved. So you, first you've got to get saved. That would be a radical cleansing. He said in Revelation chapter one, verse five, because the, the, bra- the brazen altar were where uh, people would bring in and address their sin, and they would sacrifice an animal. And the blood will be poured out on the altar by the priest. And that would take care of it. And then if you sinned again, you've got to come back and do it again. If you sinned again, you've got to come back and do it again, right? But we got, we got the, the, the blood that was, that's covered us, that's, that was sacrificed for us, is the blood of Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. i like to go to this verse because it makes it very clear whose blood, what it does. And from Jesus, uh, Revelation 1, 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I like that last part right there, because that makes it very clear about the blood of Christ, that we were washed by his blood, and we are cleansed. We don't have to go back to the over again, over again, over again altar. Christ died once for sin, and that's it. Okay, so that's a radical cleansing. We have to have that. But there's also this brazen laver. You know, this is just a big tank or a pot. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know exactly how much water it would contain, but the purpose there was for cleansing. And uh, I would call that a recurrent cleansing, a recurrent cleansing. The brazen laver was filled with water. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, said that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Because the word is how you get washed recurrently. What does recurrent mean? over and over and over again. What do you got to do? You got to go to the Word. You got to get washed by the Word. So you have to be cleansed by the blood of Christ to be saved. And then you have to be cleansed by the Word in order to be where God wants you to be according to Paul's writings in verse 1. Okay. Uh, in the Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 22, it says a very similar thing. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Have, so you get the full assurance of faith when you get the first radical cleansing then you get the full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from, an evil, sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. That pure water is the Word of God. You got to get. You got to get. You have to have both. You, you to claim. To, according to Paul, we'll go back to Second Corinthians again, real quick, and look what he says. Look at how he says it having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. So, we both, we, we need both that radical sacrifice of blood and we need the washing of the water of the word We don't need to revisit the, the brazen altar and so on. But then he talks about perfecting holiness. So perfecting holiness is a continual process. It's something that we have to work on all the time, perfecting holiness. The word perfecting means to finish to complete or to begin to an end, so our perfecting is accomplished in and because of the fear of God. Notice he says at the end of the verse, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So why did he say that? Well, mainly because fear is a healthy and much needed ingredient to living in holiness. You need to fear the Lord. You need to, you need to fear Him so you're going to walk right. Everybody, everybody, when they were a child. Well, maybe not. I don't know if I should say this to everybody, but I know. I know my kids, and my sister, and my brothers, they walked into fear of, the, of their father. Because if he got mad, if, he, you know, if we wronged him, if we disobeyed him, he would deal with it. And probably some of you grew up that way too. That's the same thing. The fear of the Lord keeps us in check. It should keep us in check. Because otherwise we're saying, that eh, heck with you God. You know, that's what happens when a teenager gets old enough, right? They say, ah, i hit with you, dad, mom, I don't care. I'm leaving. I'm gone. I'll be back next week for food, but I'll be, I'm leaving now. So, anyway, so fear keeps us from losing sight of God's holiness. And we lose our sense of seriousness of sin when we lose sight of God. We lose the seriousness of the sight of of sin and how serious it is against, how it's in an, a, what's, on, I just had the word near to this one the way. A, um, Oh, it'll come back. Maybe, maybe it won't. But when we when we lose the sight, when we lose the sight of God's fear, we lose the sight of God's holiness. And when we lose the sight of God's holiness, we lose the sight of the seriousness of sin. And we sin, and we we're flippant about God. What God cares about our behavior, we just do it. Well, because why? Well, because I want to. That's really the bottom line. Why we mostly sin is because I want to. You know, why? You ask your kids, why'd you do this? Because I wanted to. God's going to ask you one day, why'd you do this? Judgment seat of Christ. Well, don't. It's probably not a good idea to say because I wanted to. <laughs> okay, so so being clean and being holy. Now, there this was a lacking in the first in this in the church at Corinth, and it's also a big problem today for many Christians. We're not clean. We're not holy, and because verse one is contextually part of the last part of verse chapter six, we see that. G- that Paul is addressing separation. I already talked about this. He's talking separation, and then he's bringing down, and he's talking about uh, cleanliness and holiness. Um, and what he's going to do, and I'm going to just tell you what next week is going to be, because what he's doing is he's taking separation, cleanliness, and then next week is the topic is of is repentance. We're going to talk about repentance. Uh, so that's where he's that's that's where the rest of chapter seven is going to go. Okay, so chapter chapter 7, verses 2 through 7 is what I would call a plea to be received, which is um, an interesting thing here because uh, that's how he opens up verse 2. It says, receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defraud, defraud, defrauded no man. So as much as Paul had done for the church, they were on the verge of a complete rejection of his leadership. They were at the point where they're like... Just go away, Paul. We'd like these other guys better than we like you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll get to in a few weeks. But in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen, 16, he says, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise ye yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. So Paul had probably spent more time trying to train, disciple, and reprimand and steer this church than any church that he started. That's an incredible thing. We talked about that at the beginning of the course. Uh, he wrote how many letters? We wrote four letters. We're pretty confident that he wrote four letters. Two of them we have: First and Second Corinthians. Two of them are lost. Uh, so you had the lost letter. That's one of the letters we we call it the lost. That would be the first letter that we don't have access to. The lost letter, the long letter, First Corinthians, the lamented letter that we don't have access to, and then, which is basically where we're at right now, Paul is waiting to hear how they responded to the lamented letter. And then the last letter, which is Second Corinthians, where we're at right now. So Paul wrote two letters to the Thessalonians. But he don't, that's all we know of within the other church. He didn't write Romans two letters. He didn't write Galatians two letters. He didn't write Ephesians two letters. He wrote Thessalonians two letters, and he wrote at least four to, to, to Corinth. And he went twice to Corinth, and he was almost a third time going there. Now, Paul cared about this church. He cared about this church because they were going south, spiritually speaking, and he needed to try to correct them and get them on the right course. Now, you can justly declare that Paul had a large heart. I think we could say that. He had a large heart for his church, but it apparently was not reciprocated. They didn't have a large heart for him. And that's what he's talking about here in these these few verses here. So in verses 2 and 3, he's basically make room. Receive us. We have not wronged anybody. We have not corrupted anybody. We have not defrauded anybody. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts and to die. I'm sorry, you're in our hearts to die and live with you. Paul's saying, You're in my heart. I want to be in your heart. That's what he's trying to get across here. You're in my heart. I want to be in your heart. So uh, the word receive. I mean, it was a common word for most of us there, but it means to make room for. You know you can't receive anything if you don't have a place to put it. You have to have a place to put what you're receiving. And so uh, you can't receive it without first making room. and Paul bears his heart. He opens up his heart for the church at Corinth, and we see in verse and verse three that his heart is for the church, whether in life or in death. Paul loved the church. It didn't matter if he was going to kill him. it didn't matter if he was going to live. Paul loved that church. No matter what was going to happen to him, he loved that church. That's how big his heart was. Go back to chapter 6. Because this is, again, another area where Paul is kind of taking a piece in one place and then linking back to it in another place. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, O you Corinthians, our mouth is open for, unto you. Our heart is enlarged. You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as, as, as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with fellow unbelievers. You see how the pattern here is that my heart is open. I want you to be yoked with the right people, with the right thing. I don't need you to be yoked with the unbelievers and these false prophets and so on. And so, he says his heart is large enough to mean, what he's meaning by his heart is large enough that the whole church uh, can fit it into his heart. But too often, you know what we do? We close off part of our hearts. We close off our part of our heart. We reject the idea of being able to love every person on the world. in the world. Oh, well, I can't love Muslims. I can't love so-and-sos. I can't love those people. I can't love those people. But God is telling us, love those people. Why? Because God loves those people. Why? Because they have a soul that needs to be saved. So there's, there's a connection here. Paul is saying, you need to open up your heart. And we, While we reject the idea of being able to love every person, let me just remind you, imagine how God could love every single person that's alive today, 7.5 billion people. But not only did he love 7.95 billion people, but he's loved every person for the last 6,000 years. He is, his, his heart is that large. And God wants our heart to be that large. I mean, physically, your heart's not going to go any bigger than it is. But your emotional heart is capable of loving every person. And Paul says, Love every person. God says, Love every person. And God loved him with all his heart, which was always enlarging for every single person. And then he said, Remember, back in verse 13 in chapter 6, I think it's 13, yeah, 12 and 13. He used the word straightened. The word straightened means to be compressed or to be crowded into. Basically stiff. stiff Stiff-necked. Like the concert, and I don't know if you heard about this or not, but I heard it on the news the other night. The concert in Austin this past week where hundreds were injured and many died at the point of being straightened to the point of death. because They were just crushing them and just crowding them. You know why? Because there wasn't any room the more you're trying to put into a spot that doesn't have the room for it, you can't receive them. People died. That's the same kind of thing. This is the same word, straightened, the same word as, as distressed in chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul said, We were troubled on every side, yet not distressed, not straightened. We were troubled, but that didn't bother me. We were perplexed, but not in despair. That didn't bother me. Whatever's going on in my life, I'm just going to address it in my heart. I'm going to love through whatever's going on in my life. And so Paul is very specific in his defense. He was wronged. Here, he, had, he says in verse 3, he says, now it's verse 2, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. He's making very bold statements here against the accusations that have come to him. He says, he's wronged no one. What that means is he has not done any injustice to another person. He's wronged nobody, not done any injustice. He says he has corrupted no one. He has not distorted or corrupted their morals. He hasn't tweaked their morals. You know, some churches today, and I hate to say it, uh, but there are churches today that, that want to legitimize sexual sins in the world. Why? Well, because they think they're loving everybody. Well, that's fine, love everybody, but don't condone that. Don't, don't corrupt people's uh, morals by doing that. Then he says he has defrauded nobody. So what he's saying is, I have taken nobody's property by deception. So those are three things must have been must have been he, they the false prophets must have been accusing Paul of those behaviors, stealing their changing their morals. Why? Well, their morals, the false prophets' morals were probably well. You got to go back to the law, yeah, uh, the corruption and, and and so on. So each of these claims refutes the enemy of Paul's ministry. Not that they were just teaching different claims. And the false prophets were literally turning the hearts and the minds of the church against Paul. They were driving the church to be straightened against Paul. We're not going to stand for this. You can almost imagine them. Paul, we don't want to stand for this anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. Go away, Paul. Paul said, hey, I love you. You're in my heart. I want to be in your heart. And so... We don't know the exact ac- accusations that were made against Paul, but some, some people think that maybe Paul was too hard on the guy that was in sin in, the first, in first Corinthians, the guy that was in sexual sin, and Paul said, you've got you to turn him over to the destruction of the flesh. And some of those people are like, man, that was a little stiff, Paul. That was a little hard. That was a little tough. You should just love the guy and let him. He'll, he'll, he'll change eventually. He'll get it right eventually. Just let him go. That's what happens a lot of times in our churches around the country. You know, people say, ah, oh, just let it go. One of the reasons we had that conversation last Sunday was this kind of thing. If you don't know what I mean, I'll talk to you after church. If you want to know. If you weren't there, I will explain it all. Uh, okay, so verse 4, he goes on he says, "...great is my boldness of speech toward you, great is my glory and of you. I am filled with comfort, I am exceeding joyful." In all your tribulation, and so what he's saying here is as hard uh, as a hard time as Paul has had from this church. His words, his testimony, his joy are all positive, and he, he and he wants them to know. I don't speak ill of you, no matter what you treat. However you treat me, I'm going to talk good things about you. I'm going to glorify what God is doing through you. I'm going to. How did he say it? My speech towards you is great. My glory of you is good. I am filled with comfort that I am exceeding joyful. Even in my tribulation, he says, I am joyful about what you're dealing with. <clears throat> so for the sake of time, let's go on to verse 5 through 7. We'll wrap this thing up here. So verse 5 through 7, The trouble that surrounded Paul did not dictate how he loved the church. That was an important thing. What was going on in his life did not dictate how he was to love the church, or that in fact that he even loved them. It says, verse five, for when we come to, we had come to Macedonia. Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, without we were fighting, within were fears. Nevertheless, God gave. Nevertheless, God that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told you, when he told us, your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. So, just real quick, for the sake of time, uh, when he arrived in Macedonia, uh, he was facing trouble from. He says from 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 every side, the fightings without. He, that phrase, not, he's not talking about him having fights. He says the fightings without were most likely not directed towards him, but the culture was draining him. Because the fighting that never ceased. Doesn't that sound familiar? The fighting in their culture that never ceased. The fighting's without. Oh my goodness, I wish, you know, I get so drained listening to the junk out there in the world that it's depressing sometimes. And it's defeating sometimes. It's like, why can't the church do something about it? Well, this church can if it would. If it would just love those people. And so anyway, um, the fears inside. Now that was Paul. Because he had anxiety over what was happening to him and waiting on Titus, he you know he sent that lost uh, the lamented letter and he's like, well, I hope they received it. I don't even know what happened to Titus. You know, we talked about that earlier in the chapter uh, that he was waiting on Titus. Ultimately, Titus does show up with a report of the condition of the church and the change in the church towards Paul. And Paul, he already said all of this. He already talked about this and second in the second chapter verse 13 he said i had no rest in my spirit because i found not titus my brother but taking my leave of them i went from thence to macedonia so when titus did arrive paul he assured paul of the desires of the church to receive paul which made him joy the church finally said oh paul you're in our hearts too now i don't know if they're lying or not i don't know but he has he has other things he has to address but that was one thing that made paul feel so much better uh I'm in your heart, or you're in my heart, I want to be in your heart. And that was basically the message that came back from Titus. The message Titus brought was basically a three-part message, actually. The earnest desire of the church to be like-minded as Paul, that was their desire. That was reported by Titus. The knowledge of the church mourned, which led to a deep desire to repent, which he'll address. Okay, so they want to repent, they don't know how. So he has to tell them, that's what chapter 7, the remaining part of chapter 7 is about. Okay, you want to repent? This is how you repent. So that's why we're going to talk about it. Because sometimes repentance is a weird thing these days. So we want to clear, we want to clear all that up. And the third thing uh, that Titus uh, brings the message back was that the mind of the church towards Paul was to them that he is their pastor, he is their leader, he is the apostle, and he is their teacher. You are exactly who you, we need, Paul. You are the man we need in our life. And that, that made Paul so much happier. And now he can address things that need to be addressed. As I said earlier, he's going to take the task of the Judaizers and the false prophets and he'll do that later on in these chapters, um, the last few chapters anyway. So okay, so let's time's up. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and um, we'll go on inside and um, let's get ready to listen to the main message. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the lesson that that we have received from Paul. I do pray, Father, that we can all love with such an enlarged heart that there is plenty of room, uh, that we'd never be straightened, that we would never uh, not make room for somebody. Lord, I know, I know that sometimes it's hard to love people that have harmed us and hurt us and wronged us. It's hard to do that. But that is, Lord, an example that your son, Jesus Christ, he loved the world that crucified him. And I think, Lord, we can love the world too that maybe say bad things about us. And so I pray, Father, for our church, uh, for the team that's going to Mammoth. I pray, Father, for the team that's getting ready to go to Mexico and all of the work that we're doing for you, Father, that you would be encouraged by it, uh, that it would be a sweet savor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if anybody was online, but thanks for being there if you were. <coughs>